I am having a hard time, you know, in the in in the way in which I relate to the music, you know, like, are you kidding me? You know, that breakdown and don't stop till you get enough, you know, that wanna be starting something loop. I can never play Mama Say Mama Sa Mama Kusa no more. Are you kidding me? I'm pissed, cause that's dope. Cause that shit is dope. science fiction writer, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. And I'm Adrienne Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, author of Pleasure Activism, co-editor of Octavia's Brood, Auntie Extraordinaire, and facilitator living in Detroit. And this is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast about surviving apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. On today's show, we're talking about the legacy of Michael Jackson. In the wake of the Leaving Neverland documentary, which details the long-running sexually abusive relationships Michael Jackson had with two young boys, what are we to do with this man's art? We recognize that the topic of childhood sexual abuse is a really tough one anyway ever to talk about and then trying to add on to that this long-standing conversation we've been in with Michael Jackson while he was alive we were looking at him and and understanding that there were things that were not right with his behavior and some people already at that point were like I believe that he's caused this harm Um, and a lot of us were like "Eh, he's caused this harm and I'm still gonna listen to his music (laughs) and then having this documentary come out now um, it's such a crucial moment in our history around these things. Um, This is a moment of surviving R. Kelly and mute R. Kelly, where R. Kelly is finally being called into accountability for the harm that he's been causing. This is a time of Me Too and Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and all these people being pulled down from these positions of power, Bill Cosby and others being forced to look at the harm they've caused and how are they going to pay some dues in some way get accountable for it, in some way face consequences. And then we have Michael Jackson, who has passed on, um, where there's no direct consequence that he can actually meet. Um, And the Leaving Neverland documentary didn't ask us, you know, for some specific action. It wasn't like, okay, now boycott his music or now stop listening. But um, for several of us who are long-term fans and listeners and sitting with all this complexity, it's been really hard. Um, it's been really hard to know what to do. And, and even as it comes out, you know, I was watching it and, and felt so much resistance. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to believe this. It's very hard not to believe this. And since it's come out, there's, you know, still ongoing controversy of like, is this all true? You know, we're really going off of these people's stories. And, um, and then underneath all that, there's still something that's just like something went down there that wasn't right. And it isn't, yeah, it's no longer deniable, right? Um, and so I think for us as a movement, it's good practice to sit here and, and understand, well, what is it? What is the right behavior? What is the way to get in right relationship with this reality? Mm-hmm. And today we're not going to say this is the, the definitive answer, but we wanted to be able to have a more nuanced conversation around it. Right. 
Right. And of course, we, Adrian and I, have our own opinions about this topic, and you'll hear them in today's discussion. But additionally, we wanted to bring in three women who make their living as DJs, who have done a lot of self-reflection about whether or not they can and should still play MJ's music on the dance floor. Exactly. So let's introduce this panel. First, we have DJ Cut and Candy. Um, who I first met as one of the Anomalies crew back in New York when um, Chaiko Omawali and I were doing Conscious Movements Collective and trying to raise awareness around HIV AIDS and the rates of infection in Brooklyn and Botswana and like how there were these massive international connections that were not being made. Um, and I just remember being blown away by what, what DJ Cut and Candy could do on a turntable. Um, she's internationally renowned as a hip hop DJ, a poet, a writer, and an activist and community organizer. My father's relationship to music is what brought me to my relationship with DJing and his love and passion for music and how he loved um, the Jacksons and how he loved Michael Jackson. And he was proud that we loved the Jacksons and how we loved music and how he specifically loved Michael Jackson. But there was also this um, relationship that brought me closer to my father where I often felt distance with him. So there was this parallel of my relationship to Michael Jackson and me trying to build some kind of relationship with my father. Next, we've got Remarkable, who is a producer, drummer, longtime DJ, and super sexy, amazing human being. Just like, yeah, all Remarkable around. is like very, like, very remarkable. fire, fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also a long-term friend. As, you know, the controversy started, when I was a kid, you know, seeing him carrying Emmanuel Lewis to the to the Grammys, you know, in his arms, like some of that stuff, I'm just like, mm, I don't know about this dude. And lastly, we have DJ La Rumarosa, who we are actually meeting for the first time in this interview, thanks to DJ Emancipation, who's a DJ that I've known and party to for years and years out in the Bay Area. We initially asked her to be a part of this and she wasn't able to make it, but she was like, DJ La Rumorosa is completely paying attention, doing beautiful work in the community and one of the best DJs that she knows. So we're really excited to bring Rosa into the conversation. I've been hearing about his, um, I guess his stuff for years now and being a survivor of sexual abuse as a child also, it, to me, it seems clearer than the not. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that lines up. Mm-hmm. It was a little mm-hmm. too familiar. And so I don't know that I needed leaving Neverland per se, but I've also still struggled with it because there's magic and there's that question forever, right? Do we separate um, the artist from the art? Yeah. Yep. Um, thank y'all so much for these walks down memory lane. And it makes me think... Um, at least briefly, Autumn, that you and I should talk a little bit about our relationships to Michael as well. Like, I, I, we didn't plan that, but I'm just like, yeah. Like, um, I I have been in love with Michael. Like, I can't remember before being in love with Michael Jackson. Like, I can't remember a part of my life that he wasn't already the soundtrack to. Right. Um, and I remember kind of key moments in my life, and, and one of them being... Um, the moment, I think it was the Motown like 25th anniversary um, 
performance and it was it was live on television and he performed and he moonwalked and then he disappeared like he moonwalked and he spun and then he was gone and you know at the time I was a kid so I didn't have any concept that it could be like a special effect or like a cut of the camera or anything like that I was just like okay this negro knows how to disappear we all need to know how to do that like that's that's right and he figured it out and like I'm here for it um so I remember that moment and I remember the first time I heard Man in the Mirror and being like, this is my song for life. And um, and it has been like Man in the Mirror. Like whenever I've made like a top 40, I make top 40 songs of my own life all the time. <laughs> um, and it's always the song that's on there. It, it feels like a song that aligns most deeply with like the work I do in the world. And again, I remember a particular live performance of that one he did where he was crawling on his knees um, singing with a huge choir behind him and just this feeling of like this is a person who understands pain and suffering and redemption and like how hard it is to actually face yourself as a human being and all of that for me was before I understood kind of what his demons were and I remember when he died having such a complex Um, orientation towards that death because I was just like I love him and I know for sure that he has been involved in some harm like I had no doubt like there was no part of me that was like maybe no I was like no he definitely was involved in some some stuff and um and I, I wrote about it actually the piece that I wrote at that at the time that I published that piece I think it was the most reads that I'd ever had most eyes I'd ever had on anything I'd ever written because I wrote about the fact that like in some ways we had abandoned Michael like we had abandoned him we hadn't paid attention to all the ways he clearly hated himself and was clearly harmed and harming Um, and so I want to transition into the next question um, with just this thing of like I had act I think of now when I look back I'm like I think I was actively denying Um, taking accountability as a listener. Um, I was actively like, no, you know, like I I know that these things happen, but it sounds like, you know, just some awkward times in bed. And I don't think, you know, like I just was like really downplaying. And so I was hesitant to watch Leaving Neverland. Similarly, like when Surviving R. Kelly came out, I was like, I have to watch it as it's coming out. I need to know there's a call to action. I know what to do. Um, but with leaving R. Kelly, I was hesitant. So I just want to ask you all, I mean, with leaving Neverland, um, did you all watch it? Did you watch the documentary? I, this is this is remarkable. I definitely watched it um, hesitantly um, because I was severely traumatized by surviving, surviving R. Kelly. And I didn't, that took me like two weeks to recuperate as someone that is a survivor of, of sexual assault. Um, it took me two weeks to get back on my, you know, to get out of these nightmares and get out of these, it wasn't even like a flashback. It was just like vibes, you know, like, let me get out of this dark or this lost place. So I was like, no, I need to, I I really need to hear these people talk about their experience though. Like that's important and that's therapeutic. I believe, you know, like the, the quickest way to the healing is on the other side of it. You know, you have to get through it. So it's like, I had to see it, you know, and I was also curious, like, are they lying or not? You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? I needed to see it. I need to see that. So I definitely watched it. And did you feel, well, I just, I want to hear from the other folks, but I want to come back to, I'm like, and what did you feel? Cause like the first, I have to say the first half of it, I was like, 
nah, nah, nope, nope. I don't know. They lied. They lied. And then all of a sudden it just clicked and I was like, fuck, God, I don't think they're lying. God damn it. You know, this is Romarosa. Um, I did not see uh, Leaving Neverland and I feel largely it's because I started school again and, you know, I can barely <laughs> handle my own life. Um, but I have been wanting to. I did see the R. Kelly um, documentary and like Remarkable, I was also traumatized by it. Um, and with Michael, I almost feel like I don't necessarily need it because I have been tracking him for so long. Um and all these stories and all these different things and being a survivor to me, it just feels like it, I already know, um, you know, even mm. uh, what's his name? Corey Feldman came out recently and yes. he was like, yeah, I was groomed. He just didn't choose me. I know exactly what it is. And so that's how yeah. I kind of feel wow. about it. Like I, I know mm. what it is. Um, and I don't know if it's mm. because I'm a survivor and because I'm an immigrant and the sort of ethos of my house was pick up and keep going that it's like, yeah. Well, shit happened. You know, pardon my French. Just leave it behind. Leave it behind. And I know by now, with you know, as much work as I've done around my own healing, that you don't really leave it behind, right? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But for a long time, it just felt like, well, hey, that's life. Um, you know, most, and especially because a lot of kids in my neighborhood experienced similar situations. It was kind of a tricky situation with some older neighborhood kids, but um, it mm. just almost felt like a part of growing up. So it's like, ah, uh, you know. Right, right, right. Like, ah, you know, it's just a little this. It was just a little that. Usually what I hear is some pain that they're trying to, you know, push down. And so um, I was really moved by your statement about we ignored him. And he was visibly, I mean, just from, as a child, I mean, he's been in the limelight since he was a baby. So it's not like, mm-hmm. not like it wasn't all the way out there with a fucking limelight on it. And so. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. hard to say, okay, well, uh, I didn't know. You know, no, no. I mean, no, even you me, culturally, who was totally coming from a whole other, like, point of view, I was like, yeah, 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 I see that. <laughs> it, 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 it is interesting to now try to have a sense of responsibility for that, um, because I, uh, I do think that there's so much sickness in our society, but it doesn't get better by not looking straight at it. That's right. This is Candy. I also uh, watched Leaving Neverland. And um, for me, it was a struggle of whether I should watch it alone in a way, because um, also surviving R. Kelly uh, was also, you know, traumatizing for me as someone who also um, went through sexual violence as well and, um, and sexual abuse growing up. So, and that was really hard for me to recover from watching um, Surviving R. Kelly. So with Michael Jackson, I, I wanted to watch it with somebody, but then a part of me also wanted to watch it alone um, in solitude and to also kind of go through it in a way where I'm also going through my emotions. And sometimes that's hard for me to do with other people. So I kind of went through this, like, do I watch it with folks I know can hold me and help me process or do I process it it alone and um, work through these emotions alone? Uh, In the end, I ended up watching it alone. And I, I actually had a therapy session the next day, which was actually really helpful for me. Um, And, 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 
Yeah, I did. And it, and, and that wasn't really planned. I just realized, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful I have a therapy session today. Mm, so smart. It helped me work through a lot of um, what was going through my mind and it kind of wrapped up a lot of things. And a few years back, just like um, uh, what folks have been saying here um, is that I don't know if I necessarily needed to have watched it as proof, but I also like remarkable felt like this responsibility to listen to the survivors' voices, um, and uh, to hear their story, and and so I, that's what gave me an ultimately reason to watch the film. But it also helped me kind of untangle and weave through my own story. Um, and narrative of understanding. But I also feel like a few years back, um, going back to like Africa Mambato, who uh, was a friend, was, was a close friend of mine, someone who I had personally worked with. And when Rosa Clemente and I had, uh, and Julie C, uh, MC Julie C had gone through our own campaign with others on uh, Africa Mambato, I felt like uh, work, it, it, it kind of in, in doing that campaign and working through um, hip hop addressing that um, prepared me for someone like Michael Jackson, who I did not know, but felt a personal tie to, to be able to work through these emotions. And, and Africa Mbada, that, that whole thing went happened in 2016. And even prior to that, like I was already preparing. Um, it was almost like there was this parallel universe um, preparing me for these conversations to ultimately happen because it was time. It was almost like there was this, like, it's time to start talking about these things. And it was time for me to personally talk about my story um, because sometimes I was subtle in how I would bring up um, sexual violence um, in my own story. Uh -huh. So Michael Jackson and watching the film, it, it really unpacked a lot of things for me, um, along with my relationship to different people who I had to feel a calling to address this larger conversation on rape culture and um, sexual violence and violence overall. Mm. Autumn, I wanted to circle back to you as well in this, because I feel like you know, it's so fascinating to me that whenever we have these conversations, it's like, oh, right, it's almost always com it's almost always survivors having these conversations. Um, but I wanted to come back to you and, and ask you how Michael showed up both in your childhood. And did you watch this yet? Oh, this is so hard to talk about. Um, so I just want to like name that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Similarly, I don't remember a time in my life, you know, prior that I wasn't aware of Michael Jackson's work. Like I'm remembering that the thriller music video like came out the year I was born. Right. Like that's how huge he already was. Um, and I remember also <laughs> I remember that when we were kids, we had this Michael Jackson film that I can't remember the name of, but we had this VHS History is that I'm not sure if it's that one. Maybe it is, but it's the one that includes the Annie. Are you okay? Music video, but it also includes this group of kids, right? Yep. That are like on this adventure with him. It might be Moonwalker. It might be Moonwalker. Um, 
And I remember that we would just watch that video all the time. And of course, it's interesting to look back on that now and remember how often he featured children of that particular age in his work. Uh, um, the particular age that these kids were when he sexually assaulted them. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, I think in terms of the, the documentary itself, you know, I'm like several of you, all, maybe all of us, um, I'm a, a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And because I've been going through a process in the last couple of years of having, um, memories resurfacing I opted not to watch um either the Leaving Neverland um documentary or the Surviving R. Kelly documentary just because I know that for my own where I'm at in my healing process it's not information that I feel like I can easily take in yeah um but I will say I'll speak to just my impressions of you know because obviously the the information about him being an abuser has been out in the world for so long. Right. And I think that pretty early in my adulthood, I started really having a sense of Michael Jackson as a person who was frozen developmentally at a particular age yeah. in his life, um, like trapped in a sort of developmentally early childhood stage um, whether that's because of trauma or whether that's because of other other reasons that there was some sense of like that he never completed his um, adulthood development process mm. and that there might be some relationship there. Like I think I've, I've always kind of thought about it in those terms. And one of the things that is sort of coming full circle for me right now in relationship to this broader conversation we're having about toxic masculinity and rape culture is a sense that I'm starting to have that there is something, um, there is something about the way that men get stuck at um, stuck developmentally mm. and are not able to fully mature into um, adult selves. That to me feels like a cue that I'm kind of starting to look for. Um, that. I don't know if I don't know what the relationship is between that and toxic masculinity and rape culture, but I do know in my own life how frequently I've seen in relationships with men the sort of the inability to be fully adult, the inability to be fully responsible for their own actions, mm. having a relationship like there's a relationship between that and abusive behaviors. Yeah. And absolutely. I and I've just been like thinking about that a lot lately and trying to figure out like um you know, is that a solvable problem? And like, what causes it? <laughs> like, what what is the thing? What is it? Is it is it is it toxic masculinity writ large as a culture? Is it the trauma of how men are socialized into masculinity? Like, what is it that that causes this like developmental freeze that inhibits men from being able to actually take responsibility for their bodies? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, but it's just one of the questions I've been considering. I really appreciate that because it, it does feel, I feel the same way that I had this sense of like, well, he never had a childhood. He never got developed or he got overly developed. He got never sexualized and then over sexualized. And, you know, I don't even think we have space to dive in too much into it here. Although it just bears men mentioning that there's also this huge racial component of this um, that is 
to me super powerful that it's like he both was hating himself his own skin and um and and the culture um you know it's sort of like he came up and was like constantly pushing himself away from that place that he was rooted um and then the boys right to be like oh the majority of the boys that he was um uh, uh allegedly assaulting are white boys yeah um or not black boys um and so i i i think there's something there's there's levels and levels and levels and I, I want to get now to kind of the heart of the question, why why it felt important to me have DJs do this? Because, you know, mm-hmm. when we watched Surviving R. Kelly, what I thought um, Dream Hampton did so beautifully was making that film in relationship with the Mute R. Kelly campaign. So it was a really clear ask. It was like, watch this, see these victims, hear their stories, and then we are muting R. Kelly. Like, we are going to make it impossible for this living abuser to continue to cause this harm. And it was very, you know, like I felt like I know what to do. I'm, I'm upset. I'm hurt. Right. Um, I put myself through this re-traumatizing experience of all these sexual assaults and abusive relationship dynamics. And there's something that I can do now. And with leaving Neverland, it's been really confusing because there wasn't a clear call to action. It was just like, we want you to hear these stories. These stories deserve to be told. And it's really the way the documentary is structured is it's not even really about Michael. Like there's not much examination or, um, you know, interrogation of his personality or like, why did he do this or whatever? It really is about these boys and their stories. And so you come out without a clear direction. Like what happened for me was I was like, that's devastating. I, what do I do? And then I was like swimming in the pool and I have a little iPod that I can swim with in the pool and Man in the Mirror came on because it's my fave song and I skipped it. And you're and then crying I had, in the pool. Well, I, I was like, I didn't, yeah, I was like, I did have to pause and just be like, oh shit, I can't <laughs> listen to this. Like I can't listen to it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was it was mm-hmm. so sad. Like it felt like someone had taken something massive away from my life. Um, and then I was like, well, what, can I imagine going to parties and like, what if he comes on, you know, if someone plays him, right? Cause I'm like clear. I'm like, if someone plays R. Kelly, like I walk off and if I know the DJ, I will go up and be like, you shouldn't be playing that. <laughs> right. Like we're not doing that right now. Um, but with this, I was like, I don't know what to do. Right. Like if he comes on, do I say no? Do I say no? I'm punishing his ghost. Do I like what happens? So I wanted to ask you all, are you taking a different stance? Are you still playing Michael or are you going to stop? Uh, this is remarkable. I'll just, I'll just kick it off. Um, I am, I am having a hard time, you know, in the, in, in the way in which I relate to the music, you know, like, damn, this is Quincy Jones work, man. Are you kidding me? You know, that breakdown and don't stop till you get enough, you know, that want to be starting something loop. I can never play mama say mama saw mama kusa no more. Are you kidding me? I'm pissed because that's dope. Cause that shit is dope, you know? And but I but I'm also like, man, if I play this, I could seriously traumatize someone on the dance floor. And I'm not having that. You know, right. besides, you know, the 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 subconscious way I would traumatize myself, which I think I had been doing for years by playing his music, because I've always had the stance that he felt this, that he was doing what he was doing. I've always felt this, like I said, from childhood. <sighs> I'm like, yo, I, I got to table this. I got to table it. Even though I have some yeah. really, I have like this one particular yeah. edit that does not use his voice. It's like just com- 
a compilation of the breakdowns of um, Get On The Floor, which is like one of my favorite songs off Off The Wall, which actually is my favorite Michael Jackson album um, because of the Quincy Jones. But um, I, I, I don't want to play it anymore. And, and, I'm, and I'm firm about that. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to play it anymore. And, you know, and, and it's it's like, oh, he's dead now. You, you know, you can't get out of here, man. Those memories, that vibration that he left on this earth is still here. That ripple effect of, of, of pain is still in these young men's bodies. You know what I mean? I have to speak to that. I have to I have to support that, you know, like hmm. I have to support the yeah. healing of that. And, yeah. you know, yeah. You know, God has blessed these these new generational kids that, you know, have no idea what was experienced, you know, in their parents' times. But, like, I'm sorry. I can't do it, you know. And I do want to say something real quick, like, you know, speaking to the toxic yeah. masculinity, which we, you know, like you said, is a, a long discussion. But I'm seeing the times that I do hear this music. It's on a a male DJ's dance floor. Wow. Nowadays. And I mean, the way they advocate for this man, the way they advocate for him mm. is heartbreaking mm. to me. Mm. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I appreciate you naming that. And I just want to name too, it, it. I mean, of course, there's like the ripple, ripple, ripple of just all the things that we start to think about as soon as we slow down to really deeply consider this. But one of the things that I hadn't thought about until you just said that like that vibration is still in the bodies of those young men who were assaulted by Michael Jackson and just thinking about the way Michael Jackson's presence permeates all of culture and the idea of like not being able to enter a physical space without the fear that you might be accosted with the sound of the person who assaulted you for the rest of your life. Like this idea that like you can never go anywhere. You can never go to a party. You can never go to a wedding. You could never just walk into a fucking coffee shop without knowing that like at any moment, the music that was made by this person who assaulted you might just come on and you have no control over it. And yeah, that I just it's that's such an intense thing to have to consider when we think about like centering survivors. Well, and you know, one of the things that was so sh- so undeniable in the documentary was how much both of the boys loved Michael. Like when they were young, they had loved Michael and even now they were wrestling with we love him and he s- raped us, you know. Um, and Mm. the pain to me, that was the, that was the part where I was like, Oh, my survivor self recognizes that truth too much. Right. That was the part that I was like, shit, you know? Um, right. I love this person and they harmed me. You know, Mm -hmm. I love this person and they harmed me or they didn't protect me from harm because, you know, one of the other dynamics was one of the young men, um, or now grown men you know, his mother was interviewed and she will not watch his interviews and she will not listen to what happened to him still. And she, she was like, I won't watch this documentary still. I don't want to know. And so that part was, you know, when you talk about that Riri of like, this is still, this is still reverberating through these bodies. And I'm like, yes. And part of what we're dealing with is denial. Like what is our collective denial cost to all of us? Um, So I really appreciate you marking that. Rosa, Candy, how about y'all? 
Um, I'll, I'll jump in. This is Candy. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I know where I, uh, I am with it, you know, and, and I'm in the same place where um, DJ Remarkable is in. I know that even as I wrestle and struggle with all these contradicting things, I, I know where I'm not going to play it. And um, so that's where I'm at with that. My, my thoughts are on my co the conversations I have with folks as a community organizer, um, the conversations I have with other DJs in this, and I, I see it all throughout my timeline um, about DJs also wrestling with what how they're feeling, DJs who've uh, played their music and have gotten booed and how they're wrestling with that. So I see this as a, a, a forum that's happening amongst us as DJs and the exchange that's happening as well, which I hadn't quite seen before, uh, not in this large platform way um, through social media. And so my my thoughts are on the conversations around that and our entry points into this conversation and a place for me to chime in on that and and me asking the question of and how I gently enter those conversations in not necessarily whether Michael did or didn't do it but in the conversation of where are we at with our own selves in talking about sexual violence, rape culture, patriarchy, toxic masculinity, and to, so that we can understand the various ways one contributes to, participates, enables, reinforces, and perpetuates, and, and how we are and what our role is in that, and how do we show up for our folks, how do we not show up for folks, how do we believe, how do we not believe, how we enact participate and reinforce and how are we complicit all this time whether it's Michael Jackson or other folks um, and then once we wrestle with that and those questions then we can then probably realize or um, understand how we are our own selves are not beyond reproach um, and that we're most likely to hopefully come towards understanding and believing survivors I think when we examine ourselves so for me um, is to kind of get to that place of understanding for folks in these conversations and for folks, including myself, to wrestle through these emotions and the uncomfortability of it. But also something that really points out to me that I wanted to bring up is something that Hari Ziyad brought up in one of their posts, um, which really stuck out for me, um, and what they were saying around how young people are often thingified, a thingification and discarded of children that can happen with or without sex, although it often comes with it, but it is always abuse. And how this conversation, if we started from how young people have always been discarded and the power of abuse that happens to them and re easily replaced. And if we start with that conversation, instead of did they, did he or did he not rape these children, which typically usually means did he or did he not deserve to go to prison for it, I think is a place of that conversation. And this really stuck off for me in terms of thingified and thingification um, 
and this is not to be flippant over survivor's story or messaging at all, but I think that there's something to be said about young people. And so for me as a DJ is my place in conversation as one who works in the community as well um, and who is in often many conversations, whether it's when I'm doing DJ workshops, talking to other young people, um, and, and where I'm at in trying to have these conversations with people and how to address that. Um, have I got into a moment where people have asked me to play a Michael Jackson so song? Thankfully not. I haven't had that moment, but I sit through that oftentimes. I feel like every time I'm like, oh no, someone's going to ask me to play an MJ song. And, I, and then I'm going to have to wrestle through that emotion. <laughs> but I also know that I know myself and I know I probably won't, you know? Mhm. Mhm. Oh, Rosa. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah. So, just going back to the whole uh, mention that you made of toxic masculinity. I mean, it's all part of the whole patriarchy that we're living under. And the thing about it is that you know there are no wise guys. We all lose, and that's the problem with all of it. You know, we like to think, oh, you know, men are in charge, men are on top, or whatever. But they lose too. It's it's the sickness. You yeah. know what I mean? The way that we yeah. structured everything. So. Uh huh. It's an, uh, what's it said? What's, what's the thing? Zero sum game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that we also come from a time and age. I mean, you know, society is changing so much. I think that sexual violence has been uh, very big in history. Uh, I, I like what you were saying about thingified. I, I've never heard that before, but um, I hope I got that right. But it, I think it is mm-hmm. true. I think children have always just been sort of uh, seen as, you know, whatever, usable. Um, I think mm-hmm. the important thing is to then start focusing on the healing. I think that there's a lot of power in healing and a lot of power in a person who's working on their healing. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping at some point we can, not necessarily in this conversation, I'm talking about just in the bigger, uh, grander yeah. scene, start you know, shifting that way because, um, because kids are being traumatized now. Uh, and loath as I am to say it, people are, kids are going to be traumatized tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like there's constant violence and so we have to sort of build up the momentum on the healing and I do think that even going back to what we were saying about Michael Jackson being sort of stuck in a time and space I do believe that Um, I'm not a doctor but he was in pain too he was a you know he might have been a me tour as well I mean you know I'm not trying to be flippant about that but just saying that no but yeah right and so that whole idea of hurt people hurt people um, but not to absolve him, it's just, you know, we have to really start getting into the muck to actually fix it and understanding uh, right. what's happening. Right. And as far as myself, I do not play him just to be clear. Um, I think the last time I played him was, you know, at a, at a party where it was a club and I used, uh, you know, get on the floor. That, uh, bridge is just magic for me. Magic. I mean, he's still magic and that's the hardest part about it. And, you know, I mixed it into a sort of house uh, remix type of thing. And it, it, again, people go nuts. And it was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this now. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it was, it was almost because of how well it went over. I don't know what I was expecting to flop. No DJ wants to flop. Right. But something about right. how crazy <laughs> it went that I was like, okay, so now I'm being part of the problem. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was that because I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest with you. I love that. And I've always mixed that in my house. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Kind mm-hmm. of the way that DJs prepare their sets in their own heads or whatever. And so when I did, and it was the first time I, well, it was it? 
I don't know. It was so like when I put it out, something about the response made me think, okay, that's it. And so that was it. Wow. Wow. There was an essay that came out um, in the Paris Review in 2017 called um, What Do We Do With the Art of Monstrous Men? Um, and written by Claire Dederer and really posing this question of like, um, is there any way to continue claiming ownership of art that we love even when we know that the person producing it um, caused incredible amounts of harm? And then like, what are the sort of gradations of what we feel like we can claim and what we cannot claim and um and that you know what each of you was naming in different ways that like that there's a there's a slippery slope there because it's one thing to say okay personally i might continue consuming this for myself knowing knowing that i'm like exposing myself to certain vibrations but i'm making that decision for myself it's a different thing if you're a dj playing music to a room full of people and having to make a call about like what are you going to expose that room to um and i just really want to say how much i appreciate and respect the each of you making that decision that's really about centering um the needs of survivors in any space um, but, and so in that spirit, I wanted to ask, like, are there other artists, um, as we've been in this Me Too moment of the last few years that you have found yourself in a place of no longer being able to play based on the values you hold and the behaviors that they've engaged in? This is remarkable. Um, definitely R. Kelly, um, because the Mute R. Kelly campaign has been so large and loud, and because, you know, that, you know, when you think about the lyrics and the marketing behind Disgusting. his brand and his music in relation to the trauma and the abuse that he created, I'm sick to my stomach, you know, um, uh, you know, you know, all the way back to Aaliyah, number. like when you think of that, about that in the context of what yeah. has been done, you're like, gross, damn. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. I did, you know, when it first started being loud about, you know, the movement, I enjoy his music. I mean, I, I kind of came up on it, you know? Um, and I have some, I have some affectionate times in my life that I hold dear, you know, with that music being the soundtrack of it, you know, like some of that music is just like, damn, oh man, I can never hear this. Song. I have to delete this now. And I really love that music. I really love that song or what have you. I have to jump in, Riri, just to say I, I have like loops of his music in my head that come up in response to conversations. Absolutely. Like he's such a conversational musician that I'm like, you know, and I'm not going <laughs> to say any of them because I don't want to pass the loops on. But they're just like uh -huh. in my head and I have to catch myself like, oh, you can't say that. Exactly. You know, and not that I wasn't aware of like, you know, the tape when it first came out, that kind of thing, you know, just was kind of like. I'm not even going to think about that. I love this song, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that, and you know, that's a, you know, a mountain I have to climb and, and climb down from, but I, I'm okay with that considering all the information we have. But as it relates to Michael Jackson, I'm, I'm going to be okay. There's so much other music in the world. I'm fine without playing him. There's so much good music. I, I it doesn't inform my, my playlist, my, my, my crates. His music doesn't inform my crates. It was just kind of like, 
Let me throw this on when I can't think of what else to play right now so I have a minute to think about what I'm about to, about to play. That's kind of my relationship to Michael Jackson and my sets. Like, I'm he he wasn't like the king of like, oh, you know, king of my joint. You know, he was just kind of like the Fela. Like, let me throw this no-brainer on so I can do what I need to do real quick. Hmm. Yeah. You know, let me dig up the right thing because just... The 4-4, the tempo, the the instrumentation of its music. It's a beautiful way to transition, you know? Like, Rosa, you were saying, like, I use that loop to introduce house music to people because it's, like, the perfect blend of disco meeting house, you know? Mm. That's where he shows up in my work, but there's other joints. I don't, I don't need it, you know? Not like I'm trying to dismiss anything about, you know, him, you know, yeah. other than what's obviously being dismissed. Um, I, I'm fine. I, I'll be all right. Good. I just want to appreciate how how y'all are really inviting that that conversation about like, how do we sit with not just the the reality and our responsibility inside the reality of the harm and violence that has occurred. So just thank you for thank you for bringing us all the way into that like deeper layer of complexity around like how do we sit with all of this. Um and just thank you so much for joining us. Um remarkable Rosa Candy like y'all are so dope and your work is so amazing. Each of you is a hero and like we are so so grateful to have had you on the show today. One, one, one thing I want to say is uh, I really appreciate everything that we've spoken with and I appreciate everybody here. And I actually think it's really powerful to have just women's voices uh, touching mm. on subjects. But I, I also want to mention that, you know, we talked about men, but there's no men here. And um, yeah. only, to, only to say that, you know, uh, I think it's important for us as women to rally together and, and lead, the, lead the change, lead the healing, lead all of it, really. But at some point, you know, we need to bring those men in. And I'm not saying that this wasn't a great thing. I loved what you put together. Yeah. Thank you so much and having yeah. a part of it. But I, I think if true healing is going to have to take all of us. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. We'll make sure that we get some some dudes up in the next conversation as much as we might feel loath to talk to them. Um. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredibly helpful thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're an iPhone person, thank you. And How to Survive the End of the World is produced by the hardworking and beautiful Zach Rosen. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alaniran and Mother Cyborg. And just for our little Marvel comic um, thing.
for this show, um, I want to point people to a pretty funny skit that happened on Saturday Night Live. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but I basically it it's um, talking about how other people are dealing with the legacy of Michael Jackson's, um, you know, changing, you know, um, cultural status. And it's a skit about an MJ cover band trying to find new work to do and oh, basically no. getting hired to do like a Frank Sinatra cover band. But clearly no. they're all they're all like, they're like I'm got the Frank Sinatra gloves. and the Sinatra Five <laughs> or whatever. Anyway, and it was just like, oh, snap. Right. Like, what do you do if you've dedicated your whole your life whole to like career. impersonating someone who's a pedophile? <laughs> oh, God. That's our little teaser. Have a good one.